All right, last week we were going over the marks of the local church and we made it through fellowship. Well, I think that was two weeks ago. Fellowship, ordinances, ministry of the word, prayer, and service. And we are left with equipping and self-governance. And then we'll jump into uh, church government or polity. Did everybody get a handout for that? I lost mine. You lost yours. I just handed them out this morning. Well, I set them out there, rather, so... There's one for you. Yeah, it's a new one. And Jerry got his. All right. And I don't know where my wife will be sitting, but she'll figure it out. Okay. Any thoughts or questions on those first marks of a local church? And, or maybe even going back, the difference between a local church and universal church before we jump into equipping and self-governance? All right. Wait. <laughs> this is from last week. This is review. I know. So I won't wait too long for you. But uh, remember that not everybody who calls themselves a biblical church is a church. And so that's why we have marks or identifiers or attributes, I guess you could say, of a local church, a biblical local church. Because if you just have a few guys getting together in a basement and pulling out a Bible, that doesn't necessarily make that a local church. That's not a bad thing, but not a local church. So last week we ended up with uh, service, or on service rather, and we were talking about the fact that everybody in a local church, every Christian really has a gift from the Holy Spirit, which is why they should be in a local church serving others, using that local, or using that gift within that local church. Uh, A lot of people a ton of people. I talked to several at Onion Days who claimed to be believers, but they said, well, I'm, I'm just not going to a church. I don't see a need for a local church. And it truly is a, a travesty. And it makes me question the legitimacy of their profession to say that they're in Christ and yet they don't have a desire and a love and an obedience to scripture to commune and congregate with the local church. Um, We talked about how the local church is full of servants using their gifts to serve, or at least a godly biblical local church is. All too often, there are churches that are full of people that don't serve as they should be. And that service is gonna look different for everybody, but it should be taking place within local church. Let's see. It's difficult to say yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, and, and I could do without his bride, the one that he gave himself up for and laid down his life for. Doesn't make sense. Wayne Groom said that this should remind us of the abundant favor that God has given us in understanding in undeserving sinners, and should also make us realize that many different Christians with diverse gifts can be the channels through which grace comes to us. So... The, the people we surround ourselves with today on the Lord's Day and throughout the week, they are a blessing to us, and we should seek to be a blessing to them. Uh, we don't just commune with God through Scripture alone. That's how He reveals Himself to us, but by communing with the Bride of Christ. Maybe this will work for me today. Maybe if I turn it on. There we go. All right. Equipping, kind of the flip side of service. Um, Believers are able and called to use their particular gifts to equip other believers to serve in the same way to varying degrees. Not only do we wash each other's feet, but we also train each other how to use them. This is part of our church's mission statement. Do you guys know what our church's mission statement is? Um, It starts with equipping. (laughs) Equipping God's people to serve. to serve and to bring the gospel to the community around us. In the church and in the community, in right? The so, yes, yeah, that's good. what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you have the aspect of equipping, serving, and then both here within the church and then not just being so inward focused, but we're also looking out into the community as well. So those four different aspects are within our mission statement. Uh, Let's turn to Ephesians 4. It's a pretty important passage. (coughs) Ephesians 4, and I think we'll spend 
a little bit of time here today between our two lessons. Will somebody read for us verses 11 through 16? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right. Thank you. All right. Summarize the purpose for our equipping one another. To grow up. All right. Sure. Yep. To grow up to be... To grow up into what? Some other than not. To, to, this, to the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Amen. Yeah. That is quite a calling, right? Um, and we are told to live a life that is worthy of the calling that we have received. And that is a calling that we have received to grow up into Him who is the head, even Christ. Um, and again, going back to this idea, this really fantasy that you can be a Christian and stay at home. You can't do that without being a part of a local church to grow up into maturity, into Christ himself. Uh, it's something that we need to come together and do together. Um, I was just reminded of this very similar passage, if I can find it, in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. And that's, we're going to come up that shortly in our first Corinthians study as we start to get into spiritual gifts. That'll be exciting. We'll pick that up next week. All right, back in Ephesians 4. In what ways does this play out in our church, this equipping of the saints? Hopefully there's some aspect of that going on here, right? Well, there's also if you look at the Ephesians passage, it's talking about growing up in unity um, to the fullness of Christ. Yeah. So we are... It, it binds us together as we grow in maturity. What is that unity based upon? What unifies us? What unifies us is Christ. Now, the... Sorry. Go ahead. Well, the fact that the Spirit of God is living in each one of us, He's the one that gives us, He's the one that has designed the body, so He's a Empowering, enabling, and, and executing his will in each part to make the whole. Mm -hmm. And he does so by leading us in, in truth, right? Before it talks about not being led away by different waves of doctrine, every wind of doctrine, you don't just pick up any teaching that, that happens to come along, but we are grounded in the truth. Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is ahead. So we have to have this objective standard that unifies us. Of course, we are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we know that we are there by the, the unifying doctrine that we have, not being carried about by whatever people randomly teach or say, right? All right, so how does that happen here, this equipping? What does it look like at Orchard Hills Bible Church. Well, it looks like this. The one thing. Okay, so Sunday school classes. They trained and taught and 
Okay. Yeah, the men's class, the growing in leadership classes. And the women's Bible study, you guys just had women's Bible study yesterday, right? That's good. So not just getting together on Sundays, but we see that happening throughout the week on Saturdays, on Wednesdays, and not just in this building either, but that should be taking place from house to house as people get together and fellowship outside of the Lord's Day. Of course, the Lord's Day gathering is important, but that's not all that we are limited to. Other thoughts on how this might look or work better, how it could better be equipping within this local body? Certainly participating more in the culture, in the community, in various Hmm. ways, and what you guys do on presenting, presenting God's truth the media functions, uh, you know, uh, days and all those external things, uh, what each one of us does in our own community, whatever we do for our neighbors as a, uh, assuming they are no believers, mm-hmm. all of that is part of the body because Few of us would do any of that if we were just operating solo. We just wouldn't. Plus, yeah. it'd be more invisible. People expect to see us. Everyone knows that the church, God's church, is an organism, and there, sh- there should be evidences, be it bigger than we are. Amen. So, just the sign on the road is, is one evidence. Yeah. And we never want to just settle or be satisfied with where we're at, but constantly be thinking, how can we better be equipping God's people? How can we better be, um, like we said, equipping so that we can serve both in the church and in the community? And um, like you said, just being involved and, and being active and, and vocal. I was just talking with somebody moments ago before we started this class and they said they just barely started listening to these recordings from this class and they said that they were uh, encouraged and jealous about how vocal you guys are because that's not always the case in all of our classes so that's good Andy you have something and then Jim I was was just saying that um, one of I mean it's true throughout scripture but we in the church are called to the highest calling that can exist in this world. And that is to be used as instruments of God's will to reach out to a dying world. People who are going into darkness for eternity. And one of the things that we we do is we encourage each other so that we are countercultural <coughs> against the apathy that is set into the American church. In particular, mm-hmm. we we cannot allow ourselves to be apathetic. We we in obedience and in love and in lifting each other up and encouraging each other, we have to counter that sinful desire within our own hearts. And that I'm not pointing to any individuals, except maybe myself, but it's a it's it's something that we need to be conscious of. In other words, there is an aspect of discipleship and of growing in Christ that requires discipline. It needs self, to be intentional. Self-discipline. Mm-hmm. Not out here, but us individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be so easy to just slip into that and think that we can be neutral. There's no such thing as neutral. We're either neutral. progressing or, or degressing. And like you said, we have, we have a high calling. We're ambassadors who have been given a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile a lost and dying world to a holy living God. We need to actively pursue that intentionally. Uh, Jim and Mandy. Oh, Jim. Okay. I'd like to need to include the, the fellowship. It's through fellowship that we really encourage one another. Mm-hmm. And also, it's through the fellowship that we find out how we need to minister one another, even, yeah. I, I hate to say, even if it's just prayer, because prayer is important. Mm-hmm. But however, we can, we can serve one another and minister to 
and we do have that mentality about prayer and we shouldn't but yeah just this past week I was talking to somebody in our body and they're yeah, they're hurting else, everything else fails, I'll pray. <laughs> yeah well yeah that's kind of the mentality that I had and I know that I shouldn't but I, I still did I was like man I, I really want to, to help you I know that you're hurting what what can I do and they just said well I, I really don't know because there's there's no answer just pray and of course I've been praying but I wish I could do more but that's how you discover the members hurting and remember when one part of the body's hurting we all suffer and hurt together because we are indeed one body it's not just an empty illustration that scripture uses but it really speaks to the fact that we are unified and uh, we we win together and we lose together right we suffer together and we thrive together all right what is the motivation for equipping one another I think we covered that pretty well because we are one with one another, right? We want to love the body of Christ. Yeah, I really like the way he says that there, when, when each part is working properly, <clears throat> then there is growth. It's just, this is such a machine terminology. <laughs> yeah. It only takes one thing to fail in a, a machine to make, make a problem. They can, depending on what it is, can stop it completely. Appreciate it. The other thing I was going to say is we we also are blind. We, we remind ourselves all the time that it's not just humans that are observing this, and it's not just uh-huh. the, uh, the witness that we do verbally, our prayers and our actions, and I don't know what else about us that is visible to the. The angelic and demonic forces. Uh-huh. We're told that our prayers are a sweet incense, a sweet smell to God Himself. We should never, you know, we want to be smelling good and not stinky. Most of us bathe regularly for that purpose, and, and that's part of, part of our spiritual needs also to be smelling good to the spirit world. Yeah. Or, or bad to some, right? We are a smell of... <laughs> yeah, but maybe we should. Because when, when we were going through 1 Corinthians 11, we hit that spot in verse 10, which says um, that you are to do this because of the angels. And it's just like a random verse. It's like, well, what does that mean? Um, my, my thought on that is that, yes, the angels long for the, the salvation that we have, and they long to look into that. And um, we as uh, husbands and wives we are a picture of the church and Christ as his bride and so before we got to that point I had come to that conclusion that um, the angels long to look into the, the relationship that we have and how we are reflecting that relationship properly but I wasn't even thinking about the demonic angels right the fallen angels until afterwards I have still been doing some studying in that and somebody had brought that up and mentioned well, that is a, a display for even the fallen angels, those who have rebelled against the proper authority that God has set into place. And they're able to see, well, these people are submitting rightly to the authority of God and recognizing the headship that Christ has over his church and that husbands have over their wives and that the father has over the son and, and that proper order. And those who have rebelled against him are being ministered to and, and witnessing Christ's church properly submitting to him. So, yes, it's both. Uh, fallen and un- unfallen angels. All right. The church exists for a purpose outside of itself. The church exists for a purpose outside of itself. The church exists for God and for his people. Um, so many churches get so introspective, get so caught up in themselves. Let us not ever do that. But to realize that um, we exist for for God and that takes us outside of these four walls, right? Therefore, there is no room for a spirit of competition in the local church. We make it our aim to build up and train one another with pure hearts and a spirit of love. And again, I don't want you guys to look at this and just say, oh, that's the the job of the the pastor. That's the job of the, the deacons. That's the job of everybody within this local church. We all have Uh, a circle of influence and where we have influence we have authority we have uh, 
an ability to impact people, to teach people. So we all have an, not only an ability, but a responsibility to equip one another and build one another up. Self-governance. Oh, Jerry. Just one other aspect, which I think we just probably about only briefly, but in that spirit world, we're also demonstrating in some way beyond ourselves, beyond the human and our church relationship, uh, we're honoring God in filling our role of submitting to Him in relationship to His call to the nation of Israel. Because He's still working in them and through them, and He has mm -hmm. ultimate goals, and we are stuck onto the side of that, and that's also beyond our capability to comprehend, but there's, I'm sure, the spirit world is much greater understanding of that than we do and we never will hear. Anyway, all of what God has designed and is doing and has done and is working through us in the various forms, is, it's all part of that massive picture that he's creating in time and space. It's yeah. beyond our comprehension. And people often refer to it as a, a tapestry that he is weaving together and sewing together because we can't see all of it. We just see little parts and glimpses. And yeah, he is using the church to make Israel jealous so he can draw them back to himself. Good. All right. Uh, last mark of a local church that we're going to look at. There are, like we mentioned before, other marks, but this last one we're going to consider self-governance. Another mark of the local church is the autonomous nature of its governance. There are leaders from within the body who direct it. And we're actually going to discuss that a little bit more here in just a moment. Uh, let's check out these passages really quickly. Acts 14, 21 through 23, and then I'll read for us Titus 1, 5. Let's turn to Acts 14. And then when somebody gets there, go ahead and read it for us. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number. Yeah, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They said. All right, and then real quickly, Titus one five says, "For this reason." Oh, go ahead. He missed 23. Yeah. yeah. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that is important. Yes. <laughs> All right. And we see the same thing over in Titus where Paul's writing to Titus and he said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains or what is yet to take place and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So we see both in Acts 14 and Titus 1 that they are appointing elders uh, for this governance, for this rule and, and leadership. Uh, what challenges did the early church face when it came to appointing these leaders? I know we're just jumping in and taking these verses in isolation, but... Well, they were young believers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in the, the Jewish side of things, they had all this baggage that the scribes and the Pharisees have added to the law, right? Um, remember, Jesus condemned them because they were tithing of mint and, and thyme and dill, and yet they were neglecting these greater things of the law. Um, they had come up with these rules like Korban, where I'm just going to set this aside so I don't have to take care of my father and my mother when they get older. Um, all these different unbiblical uh, kind of side teachings that they had come up with. And so the Jews were having to deal with all that, but they still had a, a solid background of Old Testament understanding. Whereas the Gentiles, they had to be brought up to speed and taught, okay, well, Jesus is the Messiah. What does that mean? They had to go back and get all the Old Testament pictures and imagery that were pointing forward to Jesus. Um, so yeah, no shortage of issues at all. And then they had outside influence 
um, they had these Judaizers who told them, you still have to keep under the law. You have to uh, obey all of the law in order to come to Christ. You have to be circumcised in order to come to Christ. Uh, they had to deal with Gnosticism, who, which said, or proto-Gnosticism, which came before Gnosticism, and said that um, the, the body is bad, and so we need to avoid all kinds of food and self-indulgence. In fact, we need to go out and we need to beat and whip our bodies and live on top of poles. And there was all kinds of stuff that the early church had to deal with. And these leaders who were themselves brand new leaders were appointed to take and to lead and disciple these other uh, people who were younger, less mature in the faith. And they were also dealing with these same issues from without and from within. Remember that Paul said, or Peter, I think, um, somebody said, uh, that there, many people said actually, that there were going to be wolves that would come in, right? And they would be dressed up in sheep's clothing and they would come in and uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't hold back, but they were going to ravish the church. Come out of your midst. Yeah, from, from within yourselves. Yep. Uh, that was Luke, I think. Luke 20, or Acts 20. Uh, yes, did I say Luke? Luke in Acts 20, yes. Acts 20, 28 through 30. All right, uh, what challenges does the church face today when it comes to appointing leaders? Well, it's hard to see people's hearts, as you just were referring to. The wolves that Paul talked about are from within you. And so we can be, be impressed by people's character, <coughs> charisma, and appearance and put people in and yeah. yeah. Challenges yeah, to be submissive and attentive to the spirit of God's leading. Amen. The problem is, is that man looks on the outside, yes. mm-hmm. and when you have a charismatic person who is an effective communicator, they can, you know, baffle you with baloney, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you want to appoint someone who's a leader who has studied the word, who, who knows the word, and who who is um, impelled by the Holy Spirit to convey the gospel. You know, we don't just preach the gospel for outside the church, we preach it internally. Amen. We, we remind ourselves that Christ is the center of, of our faith. The challenge is finding men in a infantile society who want to prove themselves mm-hmm. that are that are willing to to be leaders and it, if someone is eager to be an elder that's not a good thing necessarily um, though one should want to serve in that way I think that one who does it reluctantly understanding that you're under a double burden when you do so, you know, that's humble and willing to, to, to do that. You're looking for somebody in, in that sort of that. Yeah, that's yeah, a, a tight line because if somebody's wanting to get in, you have to ask, well, why is it that you want to serve? Are, are you um, desirous of, of sort of gain? Are you wanting some kind of power or influence that maybe you shouldn't have? Because we're also told that it's a good thing to desire to be an elder. It's yes. something that you should want. And if somebody doesn't desire that, then that's not a position that they should be in. And we're given to, and we'll get into it probably next week, definitely next week, um, the qualifications for elder. But there are two um, that are outside of a, a character base. So a lot of them are character based. Um, but then they are to be apt to teach, able to teach, and then also to manage their own households well. And one of the issues with the, the way that our society has decided to appoint elders and, and leaders um, kind of neglects that aspect of let's take a peek inside of your, your doors and your windows and see how things are going at home. And I think if that were done more regularly, then uh, a lot of issues would be avoided for sure. And then along the line, just that desire of, of wanting to step up and lead, I think that's lacking in our, our churches today, especially in America. Jim. 
what you're saying there, that's one of the reasons I think it says they should be hospitable. Yes. They should have people in their homes often. Mm-hmm. If you have a, somebody that wants to be a pastor or an elder or leader and don't want people in their home, that should be yeah. a you can put on a good face for a couple hours on Sunday, right? But you actually rub shoulders with people and get them involved in your life, and uh, it'll start to show a little bit. And it's not always pretty, but it's, it's reality, and that's what we need to be looking at. All right, uh, Logan, then we'll move on. Real quick. Yep. But uh, I guess it's talking about leaders, right? Yeah, but elders. So leaders, uh, I think they're probably talking about like the, their converts, right? And then leaders out of the converts. In other words, growing their their Christian converts from the world, whether they they grew up Jewish or if they were Gentiles. And with each group, you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. And and with each person, you're going to have specific problems. And so it's just it's a the challenges are yeah yeah they're unending. I mean, um, and with yeah. Because you take like a, a Gentile, they're very moldable, uh-huh. hopefully, because uh, they don't know the gospel, the you know the law, um, Moses or whatever. And then you take a Jew, and they have preconceived, they've been indoctrinated with with a, you know already a, a different gospel. Yeah, and that's almost harder to erase sometimes. Gentiles, they would have had their own baggage as well. Everybody's got their own baggage, their own presuppositions and preconceived notions. Right. So anyhow, the challenges are endless. Yeah. Yeah, when Jesus was in uh, Caesarea, Antioch Caesarea, or Caesarea Philippi, um, he was, that's where uh, Peter said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said this in the, the midst of an area that was just filled with wickedness and idolatry. There were several temples there that were built to, uh, to Caesar himself, to Echo and, and Pan and these different Roman Greek gods. And it wasn't a predominantly Jewish area, but they still had all kinds of Gentile, if you want to use that word, uh, baggage that they had to get rid of when if they were going to accept Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, First uh, Peter 5. We've been here recently somewhere. Maybe that was in our uh, youth group class. But let's look at First Peter 5. All right, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness not yet as lording it over those who allotted to your charge but proving to be an example to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's where we find that that dichotomy. Well, you're to be humble, but you are to desire to to be an elder, right? Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Uh, Lots of balancing, tightroping act right there. Uh, How would you describe the calling given to pastors? There's a lot in that, just in those five verses. What do we see in there? Not because you know, but because you're willing. Yeah. Not under compulsion, but because you want to be obedient. Examples to the flock. Yeah, that's big, right? And that goes back to uh, you need to manage your own household well, and you need to be be out front and, and leading, not just... Um, on Sundays, not just in one way, but your lifestyle should speak. And then what is it there to be doing? Yes. And that has that same 
aspect of being an example, right? To shepherd, to lead, um, not to get behind and, and follow. All right, if a church does not have leadership in place, preferably a plurality of leadership, then it makes itself susceptible to many undesirable effects. Uh, again, just being led by, by whatever you want to do, right? Being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. If there aren't shepherds that are, are leading and guiding, um, and again, a plurality helps in making sure that one person doesn't get off course and decide to, to go their own way. MacArthur and Mayhew say that by God's design, churches depend on faithful leadership in order to be strong, healthy, productive, and fruitful. Scripture teaches that God has given elders to each local congregation in order to oversee and lead his people. As those tasked with feeding and protecting the flock, elders will one day give an account before the Lord for the souls under their spiritual care. That is a scary verse. Um, what was that? Hebrews thirteen seventeen, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's look at that, because that's a good good verse to look at for for everybody. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so while this is addressed at those who aren't leaders, who aren't pastors and elders, I think it speaks more strongly to pastors and elders because they will give an account for the souls that they keep watch over. Um, it is a double-edged sword for sure. But yeah, it's a strong verse, pointer verse. Yeah. world is designed as so full, stuff full of paradoxes and leadership is absolutely one of those where you need yeah. a, a confident, capable leader who is humble, that is very strong contrast yeah. to be within one person. That's a good thing to look for in the secular world as well, right? Lots of people Absolutely. will look for that in a, a leader in their business, CEO or whatever. But that's not always, well, always the case. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, without local church leadership, church discipline becomes almost impossible. Uh, think back to, and eh, we'll actually look here. Oh, it's next. Yeah, consider how Matthew 18, 15 through 20, which goes through the process of church leadership, how that would play out without local leadership. God has designed the local church to have local shepherds. And so that outlines a process of if you have an issue with somebody, you need to go to that person and, and get it figured out. And then if they don't listen to you, you take two or three others with you. And while it doesn't say it in the text, I think standard practice throughout the, the centuries has been preferably take a, a pastor, take an elder with you and get that figured out. And then if that fails, your brother still doesn't listen to you, you need to, at that point, take it before the church. And so all of this really um, requires local leadership, local self-governance within a local church. And also membership plays into this as well, because to hold somebody accountable, membership plays a, a pretty big role. It's hard to find membership explicitly outlined in, in scripture. You're not going to find a, a chapter that speaks to church membership, but you'll find different um, concepts that really allude to the fact that they numbered themselves and they had systems in place like church discipline that really lent itself to this idea of church membership and being accountable to one local body. Well, our grouping together is built-in design of <clears throat> mankind by God. We, we all want to be <laughs> in a group. We, this, this isolation is very bizarre and unnatural. Yeah. And, it, and it's obvious by the, by the effects that it has. And this is coming from someone who would love to be a white <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal of church discipline, to um, cause somebody to want to be back in the body and to seek that reconciliation and that repentance. Um, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people, I know we're kind of getting off on church discipline. That's okay. A lot of people think of church discipline as something that only takes place when there is a, a grievous sin in place, when somebody cheats on their wife or somebody embezzles from their, their business or something. Um, but even if somebody does that, if they are repentant, then you can settle that at, at the first, second step. I mean, it's certainly good to get some people involved. But if they are repentant, if they realize, dude, I, I messed up and, and I'm sorry and I want to be a part of this body, then that can be settled right there without saying, okay, well, you need to leave the church. There are other movements, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to mind, that say, no, you, you're gone, you're done, because you, you broke the, the big rules, right? Um, not just the little peccadillo sins, but the big ones, and they'll cast you out. But if they are repentant, then they can still be a part of that body, and um, there might be some issues. If, if I were to cheat on Brittany, then I shouldn't be up here teaching, right? I should have to step down and um, not be in a, a leadership position. But I could still be a part of this body if I were repentant about it. Um, on the flip side, if somebody has an issue that is seemingly minor if they have been caught in a lie or um, you know something that isn't quite on the level of embezzlement if they are gossiping constantly and they are unrepentant about that and they say that they should be able to do that that person um, could be taken to that third step of church discipline and said okay well until you are repentant and you realize the error of your way and you recognize that as sin and want to come back to uh, a unified understanding of what we understand your sin to be, then we're going to ask you not to fellowship with us. And that should hurt because we shouldn't be isolationists. We should be desiring to be with the body, to be one with the body. That's an act of love and service as well. Yeah. Amen. And our culture doesn't see that. They think, oh, that's, that's hateful. That's hurting. Why would you kick somebody out of your church? Well, Hebrews 12 says, all discipline is not pleasant for the time, right? Maybe that's Hebrews 12, is it, Jerry? I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's, it's necessary, right? If we are legitimate children of God, then he will discipline us. And that takes place through his bride, through his body, his people, the local church. Um, we certainly don't want to practice that in our own families. Discipline our children because we know yeah. by experience really quickly what happens when, when children aren't trained. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just children, the foolishness is bound up in the heart of just children. Mm -hmm. We can all have plenty of that inside of us and it needs to be beat out of us. If you could take and impart that one piece of wisdom to our culture at large, I think we'd be in a lot better shape because we are not having that mentality when it comes to our kids, right? They're, they're running the show. And our, the, the parents in our culture don't have that understanding. And they think, well, our kid doesn't like that, so I'm going to submit to them. <laughs> uh, that's not how, how Scripture outlines parenting and uh, discipleship within the home, that the parents are going to call the shots. And we don't just do whatever the kid wants to do. Uh, none of my kids liked wearing a seatbelt, a car seat, when they were younger. That doesn't mean I'm going to say, okay, well, sorry, sweetie. Um, you, can, you can just sit there on the, the seat. You can jump around the car while we're driving down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. No, you tell them, suck it up and deal with it because that's the way it is, right? <laughs> um, and thankfully, I have my wife to soften out those rough ed edges a little bit. But discipline is necessary. It is good. All right, uh, which attribute of the local church stood out to you most in this study? Again, we went over fellowship, ordinances, ministry of the word, prayer, service, equipping, and self-governance. Hopefully you guys can see the importance of each of them and why they are all vital marks of the local church. Um, and again, hopefully you can see how they're implemented in this church and be brainstorming about how we can better implement them as well. Andy. 
think the fellowship is the one that hits me right in my heart the most. Because I'm a hermit by nature, and it's it's an effort sometimes to force myself to come, especially when it's been a hard week, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but the fellowship, it's like it's like when you got a really bad sunburn, you put that aloe vera gel mm -hmm. on your skin. It 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 gives you healing and, and cooling. You know? Yeah, it's it's. Sweet. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot maybe more than you want to be, but are there times when you don't want to come to church and you only come because you sing? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. There's Shame there. on you. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? No, I've been there. No, it's, um, yeah, there's, there's times when, <laughs> uh, recently, I have I have impeccable timing to throw a monkey wrench into the works, and there have been times on Sunday morning when I have done so, and I have had to literally go and ask forgiveness from my family members before we go to church on Sunday morning yeah. to practice. No, I did not want to. Continue. And it's accelerated because you know. <laughs> yeah, because you're under a time crunch, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's. I, yeah, I th I think I'll I'll put it to you this way: one hundred percent of the time, when I have not felt like coming into church and I've come to fellowship, mm -hmm. when I'm done, the Lord has ministered my heart. Amen. That's good. Yeah, I think that kind of ties together that aspect of service and fellowship and why it's important to serve. Mm -hmm. Not that we should be feeling like. Uh, we have to come under compulsion, mm -hmm. but there are weeks where, where I feel like that, like, oh man, I really don't want to go, but I have X, Y, or Z that I have to do. I was listening to uh, John MacArthur Q&A this week, and somebody was asking the question, um, so when we don't feel like praying, should we not pray because we don't want to come to God with a, a fake heart? And MacArthur said, well, no, it takes work to, to be holy. It takes work to be set apart, to be a Christian. And he admitted, well, what would happen if I just didn't come and preach when I woke up and I didn't feel like preaching? And he said, there are many Sundays where I don't feel like coming to preach, but I get up and I do it. And to, to kind of step back and realize that our involvement in the local church is just as important as the guy who's getting up there preaching kind of helps put things in perspective because we all might not want to come, but we are all just as vitally important to the body as whoever's leading music or giving the word. Yeah, but I was also going to say fellowship is the most challenging. It's the most, to me, probably. And certainly in this culture, fellowship is the most critical thing because huh. nothing else will happen. Hopefully, without that, that, that is the most important thing now because it's just, we are utterly and completely immersed in do-it-yourself stuff in mm. every possible manner. So to create a fellowship that becomes a need in each one of us is the challenge. Yeah. Because we're, we're just inoculated against it every, every, every moment of our lives. It's all self and... Mm -hmm. and yeah, especially for those who tend to be self-sufficient and I got this. Um, well, but even, that's good. Even other, you know, entertainment, or, there's just so many opiates out there for every kind of person to avoid interacting and being dependable to other people. It's just, it's yep. Yeah, and Zoom church is no yeah. replacement, right? YouTube no, church, no. It's, not, it's not church because there's not that aspect of fellowship. We were careful when we had to do remote uh, services during COVID, not to call it church, because it's not church without that aspect. All right, which attribute of the local church seems to be most misunderstood in America today? Probably. The requirement. The requirement of it. Because we're offered all of those options. All those options. Fellowship is the 
most misunderstood. One thing we don't have needs, very few people have needs mm -hmm. that they're aware of or that they are concerned about, and that's what fellowship is. The, the interdependence, the, the functioning of a body is what's mm -hmm. just being grown up and lost with. Yeah. Just like you need, Agreed. need food for your body, you do need food for your soul. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not understood in the population at large, seemingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing seeing as something that you can just kind of take or leave, but really it's indispensable. Yeah. And the other illustration is that you know, fire one coal goes out. We, yeah. We don't. We we just given billion alternative ways of looking at that. Yeah. Jim, did you have something? Uh, I was just thinking one of the most important things about a local church is to have is its membership. And I've seen some churches that take that responsibility really lightly, just anybody that comes forward to have your member. Mm -hmm. But it's the membership that ultimately decides the um, major questions in the direction the church is going. Even it's the membership that holds even the pastors and, and elders responsible. And, and you have to have a membership that honors God's word and, and understands that God's word is the highest authority. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate the fact that this church takes membership seriously. You guys interviewed and questioned us and gave time for everybody to get to know us and all that stuff. And I, I think that's smart. Yeah, that's a big deal, you for sure. Yeah. Amen. All right, I'm gonna read this passage from Ecclesiastes four, and then we'll have one last question. Uh, Ecclesiastes four nine through twelve says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls down, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can they be warm alone? And if anyone, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Mm -hmm. Fellowship is absolutely necessary. And then, do you personally need the local church? Yes, we, we all need the local church, and the local church needs everybody that is a part of that local church. Andy, will you pray for us? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Lord God, thank you so much for, uh, for this fellowship and for this body of local believers. Um, Lord, please uh, change our want or our heart's desire to, um, to be used by you to, uh, in obedience and love and unity. Uh, be used here in this local body uh, for whatever gifts that we have, each individually, uh, that we can uh, uh, fulfill the Great Commission, that we can be um, salt and light in this dark world, that we can lift each other up and encourage each other, and that we can uh, preach the life-saving gospel to a dying world. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray these things, Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.